0: Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman.
1: And I'm Eve Simmons.
0: And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts, which means you don't have to.
1: This week, we're talking about ivermectin, the controversial COVID drug. Does it work?
0: As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you've got a question or a suggestion for Medical Minefield, tweet us using the hashtag MedicalMinefield or email us at health at mailonsunday.co.uk. So the reason we're talking about this now is because uh, last weekend, actor turned... Politician. Politician, political leader of the Reclaim Party, Lawrence Fox... Tweeted that he had not only caught COVID, but also that he was taking a regime of alternative treatments, including ivermectin. And now it's probably not that well known here or wasn't before his tweet. It was more a thing in America. So, to give a bit of context, at the beginning of the pandemic, a few studies came out suggesting that this antiparasitic drug, ivermectin, which is commonly given. To stop, you know, all kinds of parasitic infections in in humans, and even given to children, and you know, it's it's on the WHO's list of essential medicines, and uh, I think the inventors won a Nobel Prize. And is
1: that here? So it's given to children here, or is that elsewhere?
0: No, it's it's generally, I believe, in developing countries, right. um, that it's it's given where there are parasitic infections from water and such like, and mm. it, it's it's a prophylactic. So it's a little bit like hydroxychloroquine which is an anti-malarial which is another anti-parasitic type drug but for a long time these drugs have been shown in small studies to have an antiviral effect and they're not quite sure why that is it stops the viruses from replicating they believe and it's been shown to have an antiviral effect in dengue fever for instance there were some studies although we'll we'll get onto the questionable uh, research behind those studies in a bit but people started looking at it as an anti covid drug that if it was given at some point during covid infection it could slow it down it could reduce the severity of the infection and you know there was even some research that came out that showed remarkably that healthcare workers that were taking it who were well, didn't catch or were less likely to catch COVID, which was astonishing. And in fact, there was some quite eye catching headlines that called it this miracle drug. And everyone started talking about it on social media.
1: So hang on a minute, everything I have read about ivermectin, be it on online articles or on Twitter from NHS doctors is saying that it's an awful horse dewormer, it's not proven to be safe, not proven to be effective, and it does seem to be tied up with people perhaps like Lawrence Fox, but but actually more extreme anti-vaxxers who have a Twitter bio and in their Twitter bio is, I don't take a vaccine and I take ivermectin.
0: Well, you're absolutely right. It's become quite totemic of this kind of a view. Uh, So people who don't want to take the vaccine say that they should have an option to take something like ivermectin, which they read about on social media as having this great antiviral effect. But there's been problems. So it's something I've been writing about for a while now, but there's a problem with dodgy research mm, in the dodgy medical data. dodgy data in the medical world and believe it or not scientists have a habit it seems so it's not just rarely but in fact some research says it's sort of one in 5 scientific papers published as many as have made-up results, plagiarised results, invented results, that the trial never even happened, and that doctors do this in order to get a paper published and get credit and, you know... Extra
1: funding for more extra, research? Perhaps, possibly. or
0: promotions. I mean, in, in, in China, I believe, that you're you're only given a promotion if you're a doctor who does published research. So there's huge financial and, uh, you know, employment pressures mm. um, that, that compel people to... Uh, submit fraudulent research. I mean, it's essentially it's fraudulent research. And there are other scientists who look out for it. And COVID, of course, has been rife with dodgy data and fraudulent research. And one of the main areas, in fact, one group of researchers suggested that of 26 papers uh, about ivermectin that had been published, I think almost a third had been found to have questionable Findings, data—essentially, the the studies were dodged, and this cast the whole use of ivermectin and all of these claims of miracle, you know, treatment, etc., into doubt. However, quite understandably, absolutely, there are those who don't believe that that is the case. So the narrative changed to be that. Anyone who doubted ivermectin was essentially...
1: Denying fact or denying scientific results.
0: Being paid off. Shills right. to big pharma who only want to sell very, very expensive antiviral drugs, new antiviral drugs, etc., etc. And good scientists who perhaps uh, highlighted fraudulent research into ivermectin got death threats and all sorts. And it was, you know, I mean, it's, it's ended up in a huge mess
1: and it's unfortunate for the layperson because how is anyone supposed to understand what the truth is about a drug that could potentially help them?
0: Well, exactly. And, and that's a really good point, Eve, because at the moment, ivermectin is being looked at as part of a UK-based clinical controlled trial. So run by Oxford University. And it's, it's trying to work out in, in the most uh, ordered way exactly how much ivermectin can help. This study has been criticised in itself because some people say that they're not giving a high enough dose, or they're not giving it for long enough, or they're giving it too late. But it's an ongoing study, and they are trying to come up with answers. So there's no, there's no cover-up there, really. You know, I have spoken to researchers who doubt that study in itself, and they say it's designed to fail, etc. But you know, at the moment, the Oxford researchers say there's there's everything to play for. That ivermectin could well work.
1: So Lawrence Fox is right. Well, is that what we're saying? Would
0: you want to take a prescription drug that hadn't g- generally been backed properly by evidence that we could trust or that you would get it prescribed in the NHS? I wouldn't myself. I wouldn't, I probably uh, wouldn't trust it.
1: I don't think I'd take the risk. I think most people wouldn't take the risk, but maybe I'm wrong.
0: But, you know, I've said many times that I'm a big fan of the vaccine and any vaccine. If you want to give me a vaccine to just prevent it and then I don't have to think about anything anymore, I've got, you know, I've got no problem with that. And... That's my personal choice. Mm. However, I
1: I guess, and I'm only using this as an example because this is what I happen to be writing about this week, but, you know, how many people take cough syrups every time they get a cough or cold? And actually, most medical bodies don't back the use of cough syrups and say that they're pretty useless and just like sugar
0: syrup. Yeah, but, you know, the difference is with a prescription medicine... There is always that that worry the about the risks adverse and effects. adverse effects, and and I think the big problem is that in in America where people have been self-prescribing ivermectin, they've been taking very large doses, and there's been a problem with people overdosing on it and having terrible effects. And it, it can cause all all kinds of you know confusion, nausea, tremors, muscle spasms, mm. or you know all the nasty things you really wouldn't want to get.
1: But if it's being administered worldwide, you would think does that not mean that there's been there's enough evidence that it's safe if it is already in
0: use I think used correctly and if it's determined that the benefits outweigh the risks because right. we know that it works mm. then it's absolutely a, a valid thing to take but that's that's the problem and um, before we go any further I think let's talk to the person who got the conversation mm. started we've got Lawrence Fox on the line now Lawrence, thanks for finding some time to talk to us. We are we are chatting today about ivermectin, and it's largely because of something that you posted on Twitter last weekend. Would you like to take me through to begin with, uh, you know, you, you started taking ivermectin because you tested positive for COVID on Saturday, I believe, is that right?
2: Yeah, I started feeling um, pretty rotten on Saturday afternoon. So I had, and I'd been surprised that I hadn't, I had it before, COVID, bearing in mind that I'd been, you know, to all of the rallies and all of this sort of stuff. So when I was in Mexico over the Christmas holidays, I bought a load of it, <clears throat> having, um, you know, read various bits and listened to various people talking about it and its antiviral qualities. So I thought, yeah, why not?
0: And so, I mean, I heard you coughing a little bit. How are you feeling at the moment?
2: Um, yeah, I'm all right. You know, it's um, it's like a, a bad cold for me. Um, yeah, a bit of a chesty cold, yeah.
0: And and of course, it's it's quite well known that you haven't been vaccinated against COVID. So uh, you know, this is this is the first your first line of defence, I guess. This is this is what you're using to pr- protect yourself from 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 illness.
2: Yeah, well, I, well, no, I mean, my first line of defence to protect myself from illness is my immune system which is uh seems to be doing a, a good job but you know obviously it is a novel coronavirus it is new so i thought you know why not put in some early prophylactic well i mean no it's not wasn't prophylactic for me because i I was already ill but you know to, to, to put in some early measures to see to see what effect they had i mean obviously we will never be able to tell with me because i am the I am the controlled t- subject as well as the, mm. the ill person.
0: We don't know how ill you would have been had you not taken no. it. No,
2: but, you know, look, people say this uh, Omicron, i oh got it's a difficult word to pronounce, um, <coughs> can still be quite irritating and bad. So, you know, I feel that I was quite a lot better after 48 hours.
0: When we were chatting about this before, you mentioned to me, and I thought it was quite a good point, was that if you go to the government website, there's very little advice on how to keep yourself well, if you catch COVID. And this is something you'd like to see change.
2: Yeah, well, I just think it's just strange that the government has spent all of this money on um, advertising and all this, and, you know, how to avoid catching COVID. But on their own website, it goes, take paracetamol and ibuprofen. Whereas, you know, what about something as simple as First Defence or a saline nasal rinse? You know, they're, they're just common sense. People use them with colds. Why wouldn't they put together a little package for people to try and then in terms of that classic line that people keep coming out with of the you know they only say if wearing a mask only saves one life then it's worth it then surely an early early treatment protocol for people at home would also seem sensible to me rather than as I said I'm not I'm not a doctor I just do my research and I, and I listen to both sides of the story and now that I'm even more convinced now that following three days of or, or how long it's been of people diminishing it and belittling this thing as a horse dewormer
0: yeah tell me a bit more about that that when you tweet that you're taking ivermectin people got quite cross about it didn't they
2: they did yeah People get quite cross about most things I treat, to be fair. Yes, they, they come back to this thing. It's like, oh, it's taking a horse dewormer, a horse dewormer. You, get, you know, na- National Health Service doctors saying that, using their large platforms to spread that misinformation. And if they're a National Health Service doctor and they're calling ivermectin, which is administered in billions of doses around the world in sub-Saharan Africa for various parasites in the Middle East as a horse dewormer, then um, it makes me think, ah, well, there is something you're hiding then.
0: I totally get what you're saying, but I think that the reason people have latched onto that is because in America, the CDC had to come out with warnings because people have been taking veterinarian ivermectin because it, it is used for animals as well as in humans, but in much higher doses, I believe, in and in different formulations for animals, as, as is the way. So... The idea is that people saying, oh, I'm using it on social media encourages other people. And there's a bit of a worry about that. I mean, it's, I, I guess you wouldn't want to encourage that.
2: Well, I, I didn't get it from a vet. I got it from a pharmacy prescribed for a human being. And there's a lot of information available online about how the FDA started bragging and promoting this horse dewormer lie. And there's emails there for all to see. All you need to do is go and look it up. So of course you don't want people to take horse deworming, but you, you know you can't. It's not my responsibility for what people put in their body. It's my responsibility for what I put in my body.
1: Lawrence, this drug has been shrouded in controversy for months and months. You know, given what the CDC have have come out and said, were you not at all worried or concerned when you started taking it?
2: No, not at all, because as I say to you, it's been administered billions and billions of times. I'd be much more nervous of taking the vaccine than I would have taken ivermectin. It's an incredibly safe drug. It's on the WHO list of essential drugs.
1: So what's your theory about the medical authorities in the UK and in the US who are advising against the use of this and saying that there currently isn't enough evidence to prove it's effective?
2: I think it's got to do with money. There's more money in vaccines. And um, there's no money in and out out of patent drug. Oxford is starting to do a triple buying study now. This is two years into a a pandemic. So I would say that usually, as with most things in life, it boils down to money. You know, we've bought seven doses of these vaccines per citizen in this country. You know, how much that cost?
0: I'm not sure exactly the figure. But, Lawrence, you've been labelled anti-vax, but when we spoke before, you wanted to correct that, that you believe that if people want to take the vaccine, that's absolutely fine and it has protected old people, for instance.
2: Yeah, I mean, my father took the vaccine rather wisely, I'd imagine, at 82 the problem is here is we're looking at life like one remedy fits all strategy and that and that's utterly ridiculous in no other medical situation would you apply those sorts of rules so my risk profile is is massively lower than my father's And my children's risk profile is diminishingly smaller than it is for flu. So the idea that you're going to jab the entire population, I think, is bonkers. But then at the exact same time, I think your body, your choice. This used to be a staple of, you know, that side of the argument, which is my body, my choice. And for some reason, it seems to have stopped to be your body, my choice. And that's actually where I just draw a line.
0: Would you have your kids take ivermectin? No,
2: because they wouldn't get ill from um, COVID. I got it off my son my eldest son oh
0: i think it's, it's often the story isn't it uh, parents yeah. parents seem to be in the firing line
2: he sneezed twice in a week yeah it's not even noticeable in children as far as i can tell unless you've got as again that there cannot be a one-size-fits-all treatment profile so you can't go for a child who's got many underlying health conditions perhaps it is the right thing for them to have a vaccine that might be the right choice but that's a choice made with your personal doctor and in consultation with others it's not for the government to turn around and say right we're now going to go and jab all the children it's like you're not going to jab my child thanks very
0: much you are now head of a political party if we put you in charge tomorrow with regards to ivermectin what would you do
2: i would just get the study out as quickly as possible find out what the efficacy of it is you know do some proper science on it
0: if it turned out that it didn't have an effect would you accept that of course i would
2: yeah But at the moment, there's 30 randomised trials around the world. I know not all of them are doing, some of them have said that they're biased, but there's 30 trials. The Monash University stuff in Australia, where it showed that ivermectin killed the virus dead in 48 hours in a petri dish, that's factual. And then this massive disinformation campaign. So it has known antiviral qualities. So I just don't understand why people aren't going, yippee. Let's really look into this.
1: I think it's, it's undeniable that ivermectin has become kind of wrapped up in the extreme anti-vaxxer campaign. And whilst, you know, what you say, Lawrence, is, it seems incredibly balanced at the moment, but there are obviously, you know, people who have much more extreme views about vaccines. And it's quite interesting that ivermectin has, has become sort of another bow to their arrow, to put it in one way. Why do you think that that is, that it's become so political?
2: I think medicine has become political, hasn't it? Medicine has become steadily more and more untrustworthy. So what happens is, you know, within every population, you're going to have a dissenting element to it. And that dissenting element has been marginalized and and vilified and mocked and accused of murdering their grannies and ruining life for everybody else it's no wonder that these people become more and more extreme in their desperation to hang on to their own liberty the face mask wearing all of it has become very very political and it's symbolic of where one stands on the political spectrum as well which is reduces even more confidence that i have we've seen a great loss of trust in actual sanitizing vaccines We're seeing a diminishing in trust there.
0: And do you you think that's linked to, you know, vaccine being rolled out to teenagers?
2: I think it's linked to the fact that the government have put themselves into our lives and they've said if you don't take the vaccine, they're going to restrict your life in this way. And I think it's made people lose trust in our medical establishment.
0: How can medicine repair that trust?
2: Do the studies. Don't just go down on the ideologically driven one answer cures all part of you must take the jab we were told straight away the jab protects you from covid it goes from 95% and then it goes down now we know that its efficacy falls off and the, the newer variants of whatever the variant we're on now omicron this is actually more transmissible to the vaccinated there's lots of data that needs to come out here people have the right to say before i choose to put that in my body i'd like to see some more data i think that's a very reasonable position to adopt and not labelling anyone who doesn't who go along with the mainstream narrative an anti-vaxxer would, would be a good idea as well.
0: But the vaccine has been shown, I mean, it's it's been a real lifesaver, I think. You've got stories about old people's homes where everyone's been vaccinated. And, of course, the old people's homes were decimated. You know, one person would get it and then it would sweep through the home and there'd be dozens of deaths. Now they're all vaccinated. You've got people running the homes saying, "You know, we don't need to lock down. We don't need to isolate people because we get COVID o- outbreaks, and no one even needs treatment because the vaccine's so effective. You know, it's it's been a huge lifesaver. So, rolling it out to as many people possible, surely it's for everyone's own own good, really.
2: Oh no, but so certainly in old people's homes, it would seem a very, very sensible idea, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> they are the most vulnerable. So I think that's absolutely a totally fair judgment and assessment. But I don't think that the vaccine's that good, then once they've had it, they should be fine. But it turns out that they're not. So, you know, this is the thing. Only time will tell.
0: Well, I think people can be reinfected, but it's not necessarily it's going not to cause them. the severe illness. That seems to be what it's saying. Omicron
2: evades the vaccine, so that that knowledge now. So essentially, what? why are they jabbing people again? You've just got to see the data. I certainly would say for old and vulnerable people, then that's absolutely fine. But for anyone, you know, for in other age groups, it should be an absolute personal choice. It should, you know, it should be a personal choice anyway. And a 16-year-old kid wants to go and get a vaccine, that's fine. But what can't happen is a 12-year-old child, the government comes in and goes, we're going to get start jabbing 12, 12-year-olds who have an absolutely infinitesimally small chance of having any... Bad reactions to COVID, so it's just all it is is looking at at the profile of the people you're studying.
0: Of course, as well, it is is a personal choice, but I think your point is that there should be more choices. Yeah,
2: I think in all aspects of life, and also I think we we should have a broad debate about this. That the debate should be broad. You've got a government who sat there and employed their propaganda nudge unit to terrify the population Well, they all stood and had parties. So the people closest to the data knew what the risks from COVID were, and they ignored the rules more than anybody else. So we just have to look at this and go, why doesn't that add up? And I was the only person actually who was in politics who stood there and said, no, I'm not going to obey any of these rules. I'm not going to obey your lockdown. And I continued to party and I was vilified for it. And I also had to obey these ridiculous rules, which meant that my mother had a funeral which would could only be described as dystopian and awful so you know i think the government are if they weren't scared i'm not sure why we should be
0: well as ever you you've you've spoken your mind and uh, absolutely i think it's it's all up for debate so um thanks so much for finding time to talk to us my pleasure I can't say that I agree with what Lawrence Fox has to say about a lot of things a lot of the time. However, I think it's an absolutely fair thing to expect an open debate about whether or not medicine works, especially considering COVID concerns us all.
1: I agree. I think the trouble is when you're talking about public health messages and we have this terrible virus that's killing hundreds of thousands of people and the thing that we do know is that vaccines are very effective and are very safe. And so I worry that there's a complication in the message if you then start exploring on a kind of public level the intricacies of drugs that might work and might not work and and the complications around questions about the vaccine, etc., I think that you have to have one message and really, in this case, getting as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible was going to be the the quickest route out
0: of it. Absolutely. But by only offering people one option, it does sow this kind of seed of doubt. That's what his point was, wasn't it? That that if you're saying, no, you can have any colour as long as it's black... You know, you, mm. you you're not going to encourage people who are already perhaps suspicious mm. of politicians and of, of doctors, etc. You're not going to you're not pharmaceutical gonna, giants exactly. Yeah. You're not going to foster newfound enthusiasm by doing that. I you?
1: understand that. I just think when you've got you know a virus that's raging through the population and and killing lots of people. I'm not really sure what the alternative is.
0: It's interesting uh, what he said about the MMR. Obviously, everyone's talking about that this mm. week. My instant take-home was that the numbers dropped off due to people not turning up for their routine jabs.
1: It's more practical because, reasons, isn't it? Mm.
0: Because of you know they, they don't thought want to their GP the
1: health service. Yeah, they don't.
0: Mm. Uh, I mean, and there was this big dip mm. in attendance, even though the Department of Health were trying to say that the routine vaccinations were being done, there was a huge dip and maybe that hasn't quite recovered or people haven't caught up. I guess up. also
1: you're going to get a certain amount of children who have COVID and are, you know, when they would have been getting their vaccines, yes. they've had COVID and then they've had to self-isolate. Blah, but it blah,
0: blah, blah. was a huge worry among the paediatricians on the Joint Committee for Vaccination and Immunisation. The reason that they weren't jumping to roll out the COVID Covid vaccine for youngsters was because they were worried that people would see it as unnecessary it was being foisted on them and mm. that it might make them less likely to then have the MMR for instance which is always on this quite delicate footing after the big MMR scandal in the 1990s where fraudulent research again mm. linked it to uh, instances of autism completely incorrectly but that's huge damage done and-,
1: and in certain areas of the country, there's still very, very low take-up rates, aren't there?
0: Yeah, interestingly... Uh Not always what you might think. We did that piece, didn't we?
1: Yes, it's really interesting. We see that in the more deprived areas of the country where there's higher rates of unemployment and that kind of thing, in fact, the rates of uptake are incredibly high compared to the more middle class areas of the country, like some areas of London and Westminster, for instance, have quite a low uptake of um, the MMR jab. And uh, there's this theory that it's about the worried well and, and parents who are middle class parents who are overly anxious. and and sort of have time to spend online reading fraudulent papers or, um, you know, lots of questionable Mm, studies.
0: Interesting. Well, look, next, I think it's important to get back to ivermectin and really get to grips with what we do know about it. On the line now, we have Professor Paul Garner, who is... Uh, an expert at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine and also works with Cochrane, the organisation that does huge reviews and looks at lots of different papers all together in order to come up with definitive answers. Professor Garner, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us. Uh, We're discussing today ivermectin and it's once again the topic for debate because actor turned politician lawrence fox said last weekend that he was taking it because he'd caught covid and you know he hasn't had the jab but he was taking this and and everyone went into meltdown on twitter over it there was articles in in newspapers and, and lots of people said that he shouldn't be promoting a horse dewormer now i would like you to take us back to the beginning of this Ivermectin is a valid drug treatment for some things. Why are we talking about it in the context of COVID-19?
3: Ivermectin is an established drug that's used for big things like scabies and head lice and strongloides and lymphatic filariasis. It's it's not used for viruses. But in the early stages of the pandemic, there were a, a standard process was taken by researchers to evaluate existing drugs that were registered on the market to see whether they had any activity against covid and ivermectin was one of the drugs put through these batches and it did it had a little bit of activity but then so did a lot of drugs and so does a lot of drugs in development and they get put aside It was calculated that the the actual dose that you would need in humans was many more times the the dose that that you'd ever consider giving to people. So it was actually, it was set aside. But I think that this part of what came out of it was that this report in a scientific journal then spread through social media and people saw that term. It had some activity against covid But they didn't realize and the people reading the articles and reading the headlines didn't realize that this was in a test tube at a dose that was hundreds of times less than you would use in humans. And in fact, ivermectin as activity against dengue fever, against HIV, but it's not used as a treatment in any of those conditions. For some reason, people started taking it and believing that was effective. It sort of bypassed all the the normal procedures that we have for evaluating a drug.
0: But I believe there have been numerous human studies into giving ivermectin to COVID patients, haven't there?
3: There were some trials that were done initially. They were really rather poor quality. And as we know, some of them were fabricated. So what contributed to the hype was then really rather poor studies. And some of them, there was evidence that they'd been made up. So these stories that the drug somehow reduces mortality by 25 percent, which came out of one of the early reviews. But the problem was that the process, the scientific process of critical appraisal of assembling the evidence and reviewing this carefully as part of, of the process kind of got bypassed by the social media and press hype.
0: I mean, what is the downside of, of taking ivermectin? The theory is that if you take it early on in, in the illness, it can stop the virus from replicating and, you know, it's harmless. And why don't people try doing that? Because they're trying all kinds of other things in trials that have much greater risks, for instance. So what what's the downside? Why aren't we looking more closely at ivermectin in, in humans?
3: Well, you said the theory, and I pick you up on that word theory. It is folklore that this drug is effective. Hmm. So, you know, there really isn't a good underpinning scientific basis for this among the specialists and others that are looking at this. You know, ivermectin doesn't have huge substantive harms, but there's no reason for promoting something just on the basis that it doesn't have many arms. I mean, there's no point in taking something that isn't effective. And so that's all I can say. I mean, why take something where we do not have evidence of benefit? There's no good reason to take something just because it's cheap, because it diverts the public's attention away from other things, such as vaccines, which clearly do work and have saved millions of lives. I was staggered about the impact of COVID vaccines. They've really made a very substantive difference to this pandemic. That's what we should be talking about, is getting people vaccinated.
0: You seem very sure that ivermectin doesn't work. And more sure than other scientists that I've spoken to who say that, that perhaps it's just that we don't yet know.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen sufficient evidence to believe that it should be taken. The specialists that I know would not be
2: convinced
3: that it's a good use of public money to test it in trials, but we are in that position now where we need to test it. I agree. I, I think it's unlikely. I mean, I may be proved wrong. I think it's unlikely to be seen to be effective because of sort of common sense with this. But uh, yeah, I see what you mean. I'm not absolutely um, convinced that it won't show an effect. And indeed, if you look at the Cochrane view, it's left open. But I'd be surprised. But that is my opinion. And I'm entitled to have an opinion on this topic.
0: Tell me a bit more about the Cochrane review because there was a large review done earlier on that included all of the studies and it, it suggested that there was an effect. And in the Cochrane review you weeded out a lot of research because it was found to be to have questionable I think the term that was used was questionable data. What could you tell me a bit more about that?
3: We've been doing reviews now for over 25 years and the idea is if you come across a trial where it doesn't look right or the numbers don't add up or there's some question about how it's been carried out, you put it into a section of the review awaiting assessment. You then go and clarify with the authors about the questions that you've got about the data. You interrogate it. So the early review that came out was really quite uncritical. It didn't critically appraise using methods that evaluated the the quality of the evidence carefully enough. And so if you use misleading data in that analysis, then the analysis will subsequently be misleading in itself. So We stand by our methods. I thought it was very important that we use the Cochrane process because it's recognized to be credible in that way. And you're right, in a sense, it it comes out with there's not much data, but the data we've got to date doesn't really show that we've got clear evidence for its use. But there is an uncertainty because the analysis is not fully powered.
0: One of the things that people often say is that obviously we have this cheap drug that's available throughout the world and anyone can manufacture it. It's a generic drug and that big pharma doesn't want us to use it because there's more money to be made in vaccines and more money to be made in fancy new antivirals than this. So, So people discard it. What do you say to that?
3: Well, cost is obviously a factor. But when I started out in the field of evidence-based approaches, cost is the second thing that's important. The first thing that is important is whether it works or not. What is the balance between benefits and arms? This is not a conspiracy by these companies, in my view. I mean, we've got a drug where there's almost no evidence of benefit in humans to date, And we have vaccines which work terrifically well. So we need pharma to produce drugs and compounds. You know, that's part of the process of development, academics working with companies and so on. So it's a sort of a, a sterile argument from my side.
1: Why do you think that ivermectin specifically has become so political in the fight against COVID and has kind of attracted this band of of people who sit on the anti-vaxxer side of things?
3: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think it becomes an ideological debate so that it's almost the belief that vaccines don't work is then sort of somehow I don't quite understand how it's become so coupled to ivermectin but it is a phenomenon that seems to be common that people who believe in ivermectin also are groups that um, seem less convinced about the vaccines and you know we're all watching before our eyes how useful the vaccines have been I mean it's uh, but so I think it needs a sociologist or uh, others to to track um, what you're talking about but I think things become very polarized in society sometimes and it doesn't help anybody
1: well it's because it's an alternative isn't it that these people see it as an alternative
3: yes yes well they see it as an alternative but it's yes it's seen as an alternative but it, it, if the evidence from randomised controlled trials doesn't bear any sort of comparison between the two.
1: So why is it that it's being used quite widely in, in other countries around the world to protect against COVID? So for instance in the Philippines and I know in South Africa as well it's being used.
3: I think it's unfortunate that it is. It's going against current guidance from technical specialists who understand these areas, public health doctors as well as others. I mean that the recommendations for all these drugs are not made by big pharma. They're made by government organisations. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I really don't know.
0: Where do you think this debate will end?
3: Well, COVID is um, changing all the time, isn't it? I guess the Oxford trial will come out at some stage, I guess, which will help clarify if there are effects, I think it'll go on for some time, really. I mean, people do become very polarized. Their belief system all becomes entrenched around these beliefs. So that the dialogue that newspapers such as yours and others do about putting both sides of the argument and the debate into the public domain is, is important. I'll hope it'll end soon, just as I hope the COVID pandemic will end soon.
0: Professor Paul Garner, thank you so much for finding some time to talk to us.
3: Thank you. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from The Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, The Podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist.
1: That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. So one thing that Professor Garner said that really stuck with me is that perhaps the scientists that are studying ivermectin are doing it to prove everyone wrong. You know, the the fact that it's been talked about so much on social media that now they feel they have to study it and actually it's only just to show that it doesn't work.
0: And that was the same with the hydroxychloroquine, the antimalarial, that Trump mentioned, I believe, Mm. or said that he thought had a great effect and then everyone rushed off to hoover up all the (laughs) antimalarials. Apparently it was also used by people who suffer lupus because it helps the inflammation in lupus. Interesting. So, I mean, these drugs do have multi-purposes.
1: But it's interesting that, you know, the fact that Oxford scientists are studying it, may. I've seen some advocates say, well, it's being studied by, you know, um, some of our greatest medical researchers. As if to you know, that's proof that they think there's something in it. When in fact, it could be the opposite.
0: It's this fine line, isn't it? It's not that there's something in it. It's that that we need to find out if there is something in it. And until you find out through a really well conducted clinical trial, you know, we're not going to have that answer. Mm. You know, and we're just going to go round and round and round in circles with people saying, oh, you know, Big Pharma's hushing it up and, you know, there's this study that shows this and it did this in Petri dish. So, you know, it must work. Why aren't you giving it to us? Why are you giving this other thing? Unless there is a definitive answer, we're never going to get an answer.
1: Perhaps it's better to focus on the potential harms of taking it because if there are no potential harms of taking it in a certain dose when you might not need it and it might not work, then you could argue okay, well, while we don't know if it works, the people who are so desperate to take it for some reason can can take it.
0: Well, it's, it's funny that you should mention that. Now, if you don't want to have the vaccine, um, there are online resources mm-hmm. uh, that tell you how to manage COVID at home. And there's uh, an organisation that I was switched on to called the World Council for Health, which it seems to give, let's just say, they're not afraid to embrace the unorthodoxies of medicine. And... They've got a whole at-home COVID-19 treatment regime. That's on exactly what
1: Lawrence Fox was talking about.
0: Well, exactly. And it's far more elaborate than, than what uh, Lawrence Fox had been doing. So it involves taking multivitamins, vitamin C and D, zinc, quercetin, melatonin, ivermectin, mouth and nasal wash, ibuprofen, uh, something called N-acylcysteine, antihistamines, aspirin. Ooh, what else? Cough medicines.
1: My favourite.
0: I mean, it's, it's quite elaborate, it's really. E- everything. It's everything. Just
1: clear all the shelves in the pharmacy.
0: <laughs> or you could just have a vaccine.
1: Exactly. But of
0: course, you know, when I pointed this out, and also, you know, why are we, why are we even talking about something to reduce the severity of COVID when we already know the vaccine reduces the severity mm. of COVID? It comes back to that old chestnut that people don't trust this vaccine that has been allegedly rushed through, um, I
1: really hate that saying, because what does that actually mean?
0: I've had three doses. Ethan, our reporters, had five, the most jabbed <laughs> man in Britain because he was part of a medical trial and then had to have, you know, his normal vaccines because on top his
1: ex- of that. His, the ones in the trial didn't count. Yeah.
0: And uh, now he's had boosters and, you know, all sorts. So I wonder what's going to happen to us. Nothing or everything.
1: Probably nothing. Or like what has already happened to me, you get COVID and you don't get very ill.
0: Exactly, but you know I think it it does also come down to as we 've said uh, an overall uh, and I know it 's something that Mariana Spring talks about on the BBC who is their misinformation disinformation, whatever it is correspondent that these beliefs um these alternative beliefs go alongside a feeling of disenfranchisement mm. and a distrust in government and really, who can blame people at the Mm. moment?
1: It's interesting, actually, when I was reading about uh, the use of ivermectin around the world in South Africa, I was interested to find out that there was a a pressure group that had lobbied the government to approve ivermectin for use, and it is now approved for off-label use. It's got to be prescribed by doctors, obviously. But this was only after a, a big kind of campaign from civil rights activists. Civil rights? Yeah, the fact that it had been... COVID has kind of ripped through the country that's kind of shrouded in corruption and the government have not been great at making sure that the vaccines have been equally available to everyone. Right. And so uh, I I found that quite sad really, that it, it seems like it's an it's a kind of desperate attempt at, at getting a medicine through that, that might work when there isn't anything else available.
0: I was talking to a friend of mine's grandma last night about conversations that she was having at church mm. with people who didn't want to have the vaccine and she said i just tell them why not it's for your own good
1: there we go simple
0: but, to the point point. and speaking of which getting to the point we've gone on for quite a long time with this one so that's <laughs> so i think we should wrap up You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's Mail on Sunday and you can visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to our podcasts, opinion pieces, pictures, words, everything, everything. Everything. Everything you possibly want. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus.
1: We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.